in our second to last sermon in this sermon series called Moxie, and it's pretty fitting because school starts tomorrow, and so parents are going to be like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what parents are going to be feeling, but I know that the teachers are going to be exhausted. And so our last sermon in the series called Moxie will be next week, so you're going to get one last shot of adrenaline of Moxie next Sunday. Now, if you have Moxie, it means you've got courage, it means you've got grit, it means you've got determination, you've got bravery, it means you've got strength of character. It means that if there's something standing in front of you, you are determined to do whatever it takes to get through it. However, we're talking about not just moxie, but Christian moxie. And if you have Christian moxie, it means that on top of all those things, you have a peace that this world looks at and does not understand at all. You have a joy that is unshakable. And you have found the secret to having contentment. And that's what we talked about last week, the secret to having contentment. And how do we get it? Why? If we don't have it, it's going to ruin our lives. And so today we're going to keep this contentment train rolling and we're going to keep it going. And here's what we're going to see. Don't look at my daughter. Look at me. Here's what we're going to see. A life. She's always like competing. Anytime I'm talking, she's like trying to get. So here's, here's what we're talking about today. If you're going to have a life that is well lived, you've got to find contentment. And if you don't find contentment, you will not have a life that you feel like is a well-lived life. And we all want a well-lived life. You know, professors sometimes will give students, I've heard of this, this project where they say, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? And they'll make them write it out. And I think when we think about that for ourselves, we think, man, I want people to think of me as a fierce friend. I want people to think about me as someone who was loving. I want people to think about me as someone who was so determined to help people become who they need to become that I was pushing through things for the sake of others, that my family knew without a doubt that I loved them, not just through my words, but through everything that I did for them. And we, you know, we start thinking about this and we, we rack up this list and we're like, oh man, like, I don't know if I'm really pulling that off. I don't know if I'm really living the life that matches up with what I want to be said about me at my funeral. And this whole series has been about that, by the way, of us becoming who we're made to become. That's a person of moxie. And today what we're going to find out is that moxie has a scent to it. So I got my moxie cola here. Oh, <laughs> I was not expecting. Did somebody shake that before? So anyways, Moxie Cola has a scent to it, and it's pungent, and it's also sweet. <laughs> Someone has drank Moxie Cola. Um, but I like it, but it's pungent and sweet. And uh, if you don't like it, whatever, just get the point. Uh, someone of Moxie's got a scent to them. And, and the Bible also talks about us having the aromas of Christ. And there's this idea that we smell in a good way of a life of moxie. Like you can smell it on people. Not, don't go and start smelling people. That's not what I'm saying. You're going to look super weird. Don't do that. Who has moxie in this room? Um, what I'm saying is the way that we live our lives sends off a smell. The, the verses today call it a fragrant offering to God. And if you're going to get this, 
Like, if you're going to have this life well lived, you've got to find contentment, like, now. And you've got to arrive at it, and you've got to consistently go to the thing that will make you content in life. And by doing that, you will find this contentment, and it's going to consistently come into your life, and you're going to start finding yourself living more and more and more of a life that's well lived. And you're going to look back at the countless lives that have been changed because you were content. I'm telling you, by the time this sermon is done, you're going to be like, that is so true. So, here's our verses. We want to all get to this contentment so we can have lives that are well lived. So, Philippians 4, verses 12 through 19. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of becoming content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except for you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Aphrodites the gift you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to the glorious riches in Christ Jesus. All right, so let me give you just a crash course of contentment. If you're content, it means you have these desires and wants and needs that have been satisfied. And what's going on as Paul is writing this is there's a hot debate going down between these two groups of people. One group have a weird name, the Epicureans. The other group you might recognize more is the Stoics. And so here's the argument. So the Epicureans are saying, you know what? Like, and they're all trying to find contentment. They're trying to figure out, are the Epicureans right? Are the Stokes right? Who's going to find contentment? And so the Epicureans say this. If you want to be content in life, you've got to seek pleasure. Seek it with all your might. Whatever your desires are, seek to indulge in those desires. And as those desires, you indulge in them, you're going to find satisfaction and you're going to be content. And the Stoics are like, what? Are you crazy? That's going to lead to a completely reckless life. You're going to be doing all this crazy stuff, and you're going to be destroying the lives of people around you. And they say the key is to live a moral life. And they say the way to do that is to turn your desires way down. So you got the Epicureans who are like, indulge. And you've got the Stoics who are saying, the Stoics who are saying, bring your desires way down. And then Christianity drops a bomb in the whole thing. And Christianity comes on the scene, Paul comes on the scene, and he's like, you Epicureans, <laughs> you think you're chasing after pleasure, you're not even close. Paul's like, turn your desire seeking for pleasure up to 10, because you're at like level 5. And, they, and he says, so what you got to do is if you turn that level all the way up to 10, what you're going to do is you're going to run right past the pleasures of this world, you're going to run right past the brothels, right past alcohol, right past drugs, right past whatever it is that you're seeking, and you're going to run right into the arms of Christ, and finally you're going to find the satisfaction and want and desires met in him, and you will now be content. So that's what Christianity says to the Epicurean, to the Stoic. Christianity says, now look, 
Don't turn your desires down. Turn them up. And then once your desires are satisfied, guess what happens? You're content. And guess what that means now? You have self-control. Because there's nothing that you want that you don't already have in Christ. So you're satisfied and you're good and you can live a moral self-controlled life because the reason we aren't living self-controlled lives is because we're searching for something we don't have. We want something and we can't find it. And so we start doing all this crazy stuff trying to find what we want. And it leads to a reckless life. It leads to a life that's not well lived. It leads to a stinky life, you might say, versus an aroma that is pleasing to God. In other words, the reason people live a destructive life is because they want, they want something and they don't have it. And they search for it in all the wrong places. And that's why they're frustrated, that's why they're reckless, and that's why they're depressed. <laughs> See, if you aren't satisfied and content, you'll do whatever it takes to find it. You know it, like you can feel it, like there's a desperation inside of you to find the contentment that you long for, to have these wants satisfied, to have these desires finally like, ah, oh, finally. So what do you do? Do you turn them up? Do you turn them down? And say, turn them up, run to Christ, and you'll find satisfaction in him. Now, the problem is we don't really believe that's true, but that's another matter. We'll get to that. So this is all happening, and you aren't satisfied, and so you find yourself lying to get something you want, cheating to get what you want, stealing to get what you want. You find yourself trying to find your desires met through drugs, through sex, through alcohol. And see, the thing about alcohol is alcohol is a depressant. And so it's depressing your reality. So if you aren't content, you drink, you forget about your discontentment. And here's what ends up happening. In the long run, if you aren't content, you live a stinky, smelly life. And you, and you know it, but there's nothing you can do about it. Because you're desperately searching for satisfaction and you're looking all over the place. But you can't do anything. You're realizing, oh man, I shouldn't do this. So, so here's how this goes down. If you aren't happy with your spouse, maybe you turn to drinking. Or if you aren't happy with your spouse, you, you have probably a long conversation that needs to happen. Maybe you guys just need to have a little bit of an argument. Maybe you need to talk some stuff out. But guess what? You're exhausted. Because you are chasing satisfaction, you're chasing your desires, you're chasing your wants, and you're not feeling satisfied. And so you spend your whole entire day chasing after something, not getting any satisfaction and contentment. So that means you do not have any energy to go have that conversation. And so you ignore it. And you're slowly like drifting apart more and more and more because you don't have the energy to have the conversation. Or maybe, maybe it's this, maybe you're, you're a dad, and you know, you're at work, you're working your butt off. And you're partly working your butt off because you're trying to find satisfaction at work, and you're trying to find contentment at work, and you're trying to just achieve some level of whatever. And so you get home, and you're exhausted because you're trying to get contentment, and it's not working. And so you arrive at the door, and you open up the door, and your kids are screaming, and it's crazy madhouse in there, and you're like, oh. So you walk in, and... You're like, to your wife, like, oh, I just had such a hard day. Like, you're not going to believe. Uh, meanwhile, she's like, are you kidding me? Have you been here? I've been home all summer with the kids. Like, have you don't even know what I'm experiencing. And so it becomes this battle of who has the more discontented life. Which one is going to this, win this argument of who's, like, it's like you start waterboarding each other of who is the most discontent. <laughs> meanwhile, Jesus is sitting there right in the room 
like in the center of the room, shining as the light of the world, ready for you to go straight to him, but you're ignoring him. You're not going to him. And so you're just discontent with everything that's happening around you. And you're trying to, because really what each of you are trying to do is someone just wants to sit on the couch and turn on the TV and just like do nothing. So you're fighting for it because both are discontent. Or maybe you're a young buck. Maybe you're high school, middle school, a little younger, and you just want to be popular. Or maybe this is your kid. And you feel like, man, if I could just get popular, then like I'm going to feel content. I'm going to feel satisfied. And so you're chasing that. And you do, you're doing things or you're watching your kids do things that you know they wouldn't normally do. But what they're thinking is, oh, I just want to get popular. And if I could just get popular. And, and, what, and what parents a lot of times will do will say, oh, man, I just need to give them a good dose of God. Like I'm just going to bring them to the church. I want them to feel like God's watching them so they're terrified. And then they'll start being good. And what really needs to happen is they need to see that God can satisfy them this popularity contest that they're after, like, it's, God loves them and approves of them far greater than any kid that's next to them will, and that's what they need to know, and that's what you've got to tell them, but you've got to, we, we all, like, we got to all just go to God for contentment, but we don't, and so it just kind of continues to spiral. In the end, what ends up happening, practically speaking, is we need something greater than what we're chasing. We need Christ, and one of the most practical things that you can do is go to Christ, like, there's nothing more practical. You're like, give me something practical, David. Go to Christ. Go to him. I don't know how to go to him. Just go anyways. Well, what do I do when I go to him? I don't know. Just go to him and you figure it out from there. Like, or talk to somebody about it. Or, yeah, let's meet up. We'll talk about it. But just go to Christ. Just start doing that. So the Epicureans, here's what they would say. There's no God. And because there's no God, you'll never find pleasure in him. So find pleasure in this world. In a sense, they're making the things of the world God to find pleasure in. And you do this, and you're not content, so here's what happens. You start changing everything. You try this out, like, man, this is, this is working. Nope, this isn't working. Ah, good try. Let me try this out. And you're, like, doing all of this different stuff in your life, trying to figure out what's going to make you content, and it's not working. And this is the pressure, like, we put on, by the way, like, high schoolers about to go into college, like, what are you going to do with your life? You're 17 years old. You need to know what you're going to do with your life. And it's like, wait, what? Like, you're telling them to find the thing that's going to make them the most content as their job right now at 17 years old. That's impossible. Just tell them to go to Christ first. So, you end up ruining your life. Or here's what happens. You become very cynical. Because, I don't know if any of you are cynical, but here's what it looks like if you are. You're chasing after something, and you're not getting what you want. So you become, you become cynical because the world's not giving you what you want and what you need. And so you're like, oh, you're shaking your fist at the world. And then someone younger comes along, and they're super excited, like they're ready to change the world. And then you just start laughing at them. Like, you'll learn when you get older, you young person who doesn't know anything. Just wait. You'll be cynical one day just like me, and you're crushing their dreams because you're so discontent because you're not going to the only one who's going to give you contentment. Or you went to people to give you contentment. They let you down. You went to your job. Your job let you down. Your spouse let you down. Your kids let you down. Your friends let you down. They're always going to let you down because they're not meant to give you contentment. 
it will continue to happen over and over and over and over again. Because you're asking them to do the thing that God is meant to do in your life. And then in the end, what you do is you end up just being like, ah, I give up. And you just give up on all these desires and all these wants, and you just bring them way down, and now you went from being an Epicurean to being a Stoic. And what's so fascinating is the Epicureans and the Stoics are like arguing about which one is right, but and what the Epicureans don't realize is that eventually they're going to have to bring their wants and desires down, or else they're going to go crazy in this life. All right. That is why verse 19 says, turn your desires way up, and experience all of your needs met in Christ. Now, does that sound crazy? Look, here's what the verse says. My God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So these verses, here's what they're doing. There's a progression happening. So Paul's taking them from a very material think, way of thinking, and he's moving them and pointing to how the spiritual has affected the material world. So he's taking these Philippians, and here's what the Philippians have done. He's in jail. They're sending help for him. They're sending like, here, we're going to help you while you're in jail. Here's all the stuff that you might need while you're in jail. But here's what also the Philippians have done. Philippians have become famous among the other churches, especially those in Macedonia, because they have given, this is a poor church, and they have given Paul, this church has given Paul all of the resources he needs to go and expand the good news of Jesus Christ. And in other books in the Bible, he's actually bragging about this Philippian church who has very little, but they're giving as hard and as much as they can for the sake of the kingdom of God coming. There is a chance that we would not be sitting here in this room if it were not for this Philippian church being content enough in Christ to say, I'm not holding on to the things of this world. I'm seeking something greater. I'm seeking the kingdom of God. And by doing that, they're like, Paul, what do you need? Let's just give it to you so you can go and accomplish what God's doing through you. So Paul says all of this, shows all of this, and then he switches the conversation. And he says that until you are spiritually content in Christ you will never live the life you're meant to live because you're going to be holding on to everything. So what Paul's getting at is there are deeper needs that we have that are spiritual. So, and it even affects the physical. So watch what Jesus does. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, are you hungry? Well, I'm the bread of heaven that's come down. He says, are you thirsty? Well, I am living water. He says, are you burdened by life? Are you just feeling so much restlessness? He says, come to me, I will carry your burdens, and I will give you rest. He's like, are you worried about your shelter? I'm building a home for you in heaven. He's giving us everything that we need in a much greater way than we already have it now. There's deeper needs that we have. And here's what we do, though, because we don't believe it's true. We've got these desires for another world, though, but we don't believe it's true. So what do we do? We turn the dial down. But now we're turning the dial for God down because we don't know how to go to him, and we don't know what to do once we do go to him. And so we just continue to turn it down a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until we say, what need is there for God? But there's something inside of you that knows, I'm doing something wrong. Like, this, this isn't, there's something telling me that there's a different way. Like, there's something in your gut. There's, and you know what that is? You're made in the image of God, which means you're made for him. You're made to be with him. And when you're not with him, there, it creates a longing. 
don't turn the longing down, turn it way up, and it's going to drive you to him. That's what, but we keep doing it. We keep turning this longing down. Every single one of you need God more than you know you do. I'm not going to God like I know I should because I don't think that I need him as much as I do. But it says God will meet every need in the glory, in the glory, in the glory of Christ Jesus. It's his glory that meets your needs. So what in the world does that mean? Like how does God's glory meet our needs? Well, this word glory is about weightiness. So if you've ever surfed a big wave, so I've surfed waves that were too big for me to be surfing. And when you fall, it, like the, you become very aware that this wave is way weightier than me. It's way more glorious than me. It like takes you down and it keeps you under a scary long time. But if there was a huge rock right where that wave was crashing, the sea would part. The wave would be moved around the rock because the rock is more glorious. The rock is weightier. So we, here's what we're doing. We're like in that wave and we hit, you know, we've lost our board or whatever. We see a little stick floating around. And so we grab the stick, like, okay, this is going to keep me safe. This is going to make me content. And there's this raging sea and we're swimming around, holding on to this little tiny stick thinking, all right, this is my hope. Like, I'm hoping in this and it doesn't work. And we see another stick and we keep grabbing this other stick. We're like, oh, there's another stick. There's another stick and nothing's working. All the while, there's this rock sitting here that we just need to climb up, but we're not doing it. And we're mad at God. And, and it's like there's, somehow there's stairs on this rock. And we could just climb up the stairs, but we don't do it. And it would keep us safe, but we don't do it. And we shake our fists at God. Like, how could you do this to me? How could you leave me in these waters? How could you let me be where I am today? All the while, there are stairs leading right up to the rock that leads you to safety, leads you to contentment. But you're not going up the stairs. See, this has becomes a faith issue. You are spiritually saying, I want the world to know. Here's what he's saying. Here's what, God, here's what Paul's saying. There's no amount of money that's going to quench your hunger. There's no job that's going to quench your thirst. There's no person that's going to give you what you need. Christ is the only one. And, and sure, love can satisfy more than money. That is true. I want to throw this out there. Could it be that the love relationships we have here are really here to point us to something greater? Now, I know this is going to make you squirm a little bit, but just hold on. Could it be, because look at the way God is described in the Bible. He's our Father. Jesus dies on the cross to make God our Father. Jesus is called our brother. He's also called our groom. The church is called the bride of Christ. He's called our friend. So we've got all of these love relationships that we're experiencing here, and then the Bible's taking those experiences and, say, and pointing up to God, saying, here's the ultimate version of that. And so instead of us thinking like, why is this saying that God is our father? Why is this saying that God is our friend? Let's just say that what it is, it's telling you that God is the greatest friend you will ever have. God is the greatest father you will ever have. God is the greatest spouse you will ever have. So go to him, and he, you will find contentment in him. And then you're not going to put so much pressure on all these other relationships for them to give you contentment because you have God giving all of it to you. And so you can rest. Is money glorious enough to satisfy your needs? Like, I know we say no, but like, do you really believe that? 
the Philippian church realized it, and they sought something greater than the money. And the Bible doesn't say we shouldn't be wise with our money. The Bible is very clear. Be very wise with your money. Use it in a good way. Care for your family with it. But also, in 1 Timothy, it says that money is the root of all evil. So what is it? Why is it saying this? It's because of how we're using money. We're making money more glorious than God. We're finding our satisfaction in money. We're chasing money down. And what the Bible is saying is take all of it, throw it away, get rid of it if it's keeping you from God. But when it stops keeping you from God, you'll know how to use money the way that you should. And until God is more important to you than money, you won't know how to use money. It will rule over you. That's why it says in these verses that it literally says people have walked away from the faith because of money and ruined their lives. And the the whole problem is we think it's so glorious. And the Bible's screaming at us like, you are wasting your time. And so the Bible begins to scream at us. If you want to live a life that is well lived, you've got to find contentment. And you will not find contentment in anything in this world. Contentment is in Christ, in Christ alone. So the Philippian church makes this fragrant offering. They start smelling of moxie. And when the Bible talks about making this sacrifice that smells good, it means that God has pleased. Now listen, don't miss this, because here's where you're going to get confused. Because right now you're saying, okay, I'm confused about Christianity now, because you're saying God is pleased with me if I live a good life. But I thought that God is pleased with me because of my faith in Christ. Isn't my, through my faith, isn't all the perfection of Christ credited to me? Aren't I seen as perfectly loved and acceptable by God? Isn't it that there's nothing I can do or not do that will cause God to love me more or less because of my faith in Christ? And yes, the answer is right. God sees you perfectly clothed in the perfection of Christ, and he is well pleased with you. However, he also sees the way that you're living your life. And so there's another part of him that while he has complete pleasure and and he's pleased with you because of your faith in Christ, he wants you to live a certain way for his glory, for your joy. And when you do that, great things start happening in the world. But you have to be content first to do it. The Philippians did not respond by trying to earn God's acceptance. The Philippians responded with God's love and acceptance of them, and it gave them these desires to live the way that they were living. And the Philippian church changed the world because of it. If, let me say it this way, if your desires are fully met in Christ, you will make sacrifices for him. And then, while it's called a sacrifice, it no longer feels like a sacrifice. Because what, what is happening? See, if you give something up, if you give something away, if you work, give your time towards loving someone, if you're showing someone mercy, if you're giving them forgiveness, like you're doing this, you're making a sacrifice, but at the same time, every single one of your needs have been met, so you're not losing anything. You have everything you could ever want in him, so now you're like, whatever. Like, I can share this with you now. It, it, I'm telling you, this changes everything. If you could see it this way. 
And then what happens is once you're content like that, you start thinking clearly. You start acting clearly. You start feeling clearly because everything in you has been now satisfied. You know, when we think crazy things, when we're acting crazy or we're doing something we know we shouldn't do or we're feeling something that we know doesn't make sense, it's because we're not content. And as soon as we become content, we become wiser. As soon as we become content, we become better friends, better spouses, because we don't need something from the people around us. And so not only is it that we're not making bad choices, well, let me say it this way. It's not only that we're missing opportunities, but we start to make bad choices, but we can't help it. So like the drug addict who's shooting up in the veins, but can't help it because he just needs it, but he knows it's wrong. Or the person who's working way too much and knows they should leave and come home, but they can't help it. Or the person who loves their kids and their spouse more than God. You're like, oh man, is that wrong? Well, think about it. If you love your kids and your spouse more than God, you're going to them to give you what only God can give you. And then by doing that, you are suffocating them You have all this weight put down on them because you're saying to them, be glorious enough to hold me up. And so they're like this rock trying to hold you up above the waves, but they're being drowned under the weight of you because you are so needy of them versus you have no need from them because God is your God and you are satisfied in him. That changes everything in our relationships. So here's what you have to get. Don't walk out these doors without getting this. You don't live a good life and get faith. You have faith, and it produces in you a good life. So faith, did you hear that? Faith equals contentment, which equals a good life. In fact, in order to really love people, you have to find contentment in Christ, and here's why. Because if you are not content in Christ... You are going to people all around you, because guess what? We're creatures of want. We're creatures like we, we have needs, we have wants, we have desires. God has made us that way, but he's made us that way to go to him. But if we're not going to him, then we're looking at all the people around us. Like, I could easily do this with you right now. Like, or you could be doing this with the person next to you. You could be so wanting and not being satisfied that you're going to them to give you the satisfaction you need, to give them the wants that you need. And guess what that means? You can't give, and love is giving, and so that means you're not actually loving people because you don't have the ability to because all you can think about is all of your wants and needs and satisfaction. God has wired you in such a way that it is impossible for you to love the way you're meant to love until you have received the love from him because now you're satisfied and now you can love others. That's a bold claim, and it's potentially offensive claim. I'm just telling you what the Bible's saying, and it seems right, and it makes sense. And when you go to others to find contentment, they will let you down. And then you know what happens? Friendships deteriorate from it. Because your expectations or their expectations of you are way too high, you're never going to meet them, and so the relationship crumbles. And you can't live a generous life without finding contentment in Christ. Generosity in your time, generosity in your money, generosity in your forgiveness, generosity in your love and your mercy and your grace towards others. Because you feel like if you lose it, you're going to lose contentment. So you hold on to your money because if your money escapes you, then you feel like you've lost a bit of contentment. You hold on to your time. You know that feeling like, oh, I've wasted my time? Like, why do we feel that way? 
I think we feel that way because we feel like somehow we've lost some contentment in that. Somehow we've lost some satisfaction in that time that we could have used doing something else that would have satisfied us more. And, and, and here's the thing. Like, if we're going to live a generous life without being content, what ends up happening is we just expect something in return from someone else. So we're not giving to just give. We're giving to give something in return, like an investment. That we're gonna, this is going to benefit me in the long run. I'll actually make more from this investment in this person. And that's not love. And so what this all comes down to is until you receive the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, until you receive that, it is impossible for you to live a life that is well-lived because you are so needy. It's so hard to be gracious if you haven't received grace. It's so hard to be merciful if you haven't received mercy. It's so hard for you to love if you have not loved. I mean, there's examples of this over and over and over again in practical everyday living. Nothing in the world is going to make you feel more content than knowing that your sins are 100% fully, completely forgiven. That God has come, ripped open the heavens, taken your sins of yours, put them on himself, went onto the cross, and was crushed under the judgment of God's glory coming down on him so it doesn't come down on you, and now your sins are 100% completely forgiven, and now you know past, present, future sin, no matter what I do, God is good with me, he loves me, he accepts me, I am a delight to him, and there's nothing I can do to make him love me more or less, man, that's going to give you some contentment. And guess what else it's going to do? It's going to help you be able to forgive others because you've been forgiven. It's going to help you love because you have been so loved. Nothing's going to make you love like seeing that. Seeing God come into death and die in death so that he could break you out of death so he could be with you forever. And that's going to give you the stuff. That's going to give you the moxie to love others. And if you're going to live a life that is filled with generosity, the only way to do it is to understand that the riches, the glory of God, and the face of Jesus Christ are yours. That he is greater than a billion dollars. That you realize, I have a treasure that came from out of this world, and there's no dollar amount that could end up matching who he is and what he's done for me. And so I'll take him every day. And then you know that you have these riches that are coming to you in the future that have been promised to you where you are entering into paradise and every single thing that you want, need, or desire is being met far beyond what you thought was possible. And when that happens, you can actually begin to live a good life now because you know what's to come. And when you have security in your future, it begins to inhabit the present and you are feeling contentment, you're feeling rest, you're feeling peace, And now you say, ah, I'm ready to live a good life. All right. Let me pray. God, I pray that we would hear these words. We would wrestle with them. The parts of this that were hard for us to hear, God, I pray that you would keep them in our mind and you would give us understanding in them. The parts that we have no idea what it was about, I pray that you would give us understanding in that. And the part that we agreed with and thought, man, yeah, I pray that that would cause us to respond in worshiping you and seeing that you really are this grand rock who we can climb upon. 
and you can satisfy us, our wants and our needs and our desires. God, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.